0: Almost Here, round the Corner Technology. I'm here with John Finnegan, a uh, partner at uh, Finnegan, Henderson, Faribault, Garrett, and Dunner, LLP, um, also Finnegan Intellectual Properties. Uh, John is the author of a book, 3D Printing Will Rock the World. Um, he's done a number of presentations um, on 3D printing, some of which I watched, and they're very, very informative. So I think this is going to be a great interview, and uh, thank you for being here, John. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's so a pleasure to be here. Except uh you called me John Finnegan. It's John Hornick, actually. Yeah. Hornick yeah. sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Oh. And my law firm is Finnegan. Yeah, so many names I, I attributed to <laughs> the I wrong one. I That's <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, so um tell me a little bit about your background and what role you're currently playing in the 3D printing world. Sure. Uh well, you know, this all started several years ago when um a friend sent me a a video of a machine printing out a wrench and it was probably a joke, but I, I thought, well, you know, if this is real, it's important. So I, um, I sent the video to some friends and I said, this is probably a joke, but uh, you know, if it's real, it's important. And one of them wrote back and said uh, that uh, he, he was actually the architect, chief architect at Johns Hopkins university hospital. And he wrote back and he said that we have doctors here. who are trying to do this with human organs and this is real. And uh, so I thought, well, this is important. So I, I started looking at whether my firm had done any work in this area, and it turned out we had. But um, we called it, back then we called it rapid prototyping, and um, also we didn't really have a formalized practice in that area. So I thought, well, I'll, I'm going to look into this more deeply, and I started reading a lot of articles about about uh, 3D printing, and they, they would mention that 3D printing presents a lot of intellectual property issues or IP issues. They never said what they were. And I thought, well, I'm an IP attorney. I'm going to figure out what these issues are. And so I started doing that and then decided, well, I think we should formalize our practice. So I, I, I did that in my law firm. Now we have a, a formal practice in the 3D printing area. So what we do is we, we provide advice to our clients on how 3D printing can help or hurt them and how they can use it to their advantage. How unique is the uh, the law that you practice? Are there any other firms you know of that are, are focusing or advising on three D printing? There aren't many. Uh, we were certainly the first uh, that started focusing on this area and uh, going out there and uh, uh, making our name known. Um, there are uh, a couple of other firms that have come along in the last year or so, but I think the the attorneys are really kind of late to this party. Uh, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of speaking in this area. But um, until fairly recently, most of the speaking was in, at, at industry events. Uh, very little was at legal events, and it's started to change within the last year. Attorneys are starting to take greater interest in the topic, and there's more. More there. There are a few law firms that are starting to develop practices in this area. Yeah, most of the people that I've spoken to are the, you know, the inventors, the creators, the businesses running the technology, and I've seen this now in a lot of. Um, different technologies I've spoken to is no one talks about the law. When you ask them about it, they say, well, things just have to work themselves out. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about this cause it's very important. One thing that came to my mind right off the bat is what if you want to 3d print an object that, um, has specifications in order to be used like an automotive part. Can you do that? Or, you know, how is a 3d printed object treated Um, versus a a part that's engineered in a different way and one that, you know, has to go into an aircraft or a a car, that kind of thing? Well, there's a lot of issues that go into that. I mean, there might be intellectual property that protects that part. Uh, There are probably also um, standards that that part has to meet, that part has to be qualified. If, for example, it's going into an aircraft, it's going to have to be approved by the FAA. Uh, and you know, if you're talking about a medical device, for example, that's going to have to be approved by the FDA. So there's a, there's a lot of um, there could be a lot of legal and regulatory requirements involved with with any any part that you might make, whether you whether you use 3D printing or not. But with 3D printing, what happens is you you have you have the ability to uh, well, what, what it does is it democratizes manufacturing. So uh, you know, it used to be that maybe only a big company could make those parts for an aircraft or could make a, a medical device, but now small companies can do that, too. So uh, the regulatory problem, uh, regulatory burden could become a lot larger. And, um, uh, and so you ask, well, can you do it? Well, you know, if you pick some part that you want to make, uh, it's entirely possible that it is covered by some type of intellectual property that could be either a utility patent that protects how it works, or it could be a design patent that that, that protects the the uh, ornamental design of it. It could be a copyright that protects the um, underlying software. Um, if there's software there, uh, it could be a trade secret. So there's there's all different types of intellectual property, and if you pick some part you want to manufacture, it, it could be covered by the intellectual property, and you might not be able to do that without getting rights from the IP owner. But Having said that, because of the democratization of manufacturing, I think we're going to see a whole lot more people who are making parts, whether they're infringing IP rights or not. Right. Yeah, because they may be able to do it without anyone knowing or for single use. So it would be very hard to police that, I would think. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Do you think that there may be a registry of um, 3D designs that have to – that? You know, and in that way, um, there could be some oversight of what could be printed. No, I don't really think that that's really practical because um, the, the designs—I well, call them digital blueprints. So you know, you need a digital blueprint to be able to 3D print any kind of report. And um, you know, I mean, you know how powerful the internet is, and uh, if if a design gets posted on the internet, there's really not much control over it after that. So whether you have some kind of a registry that uh, you know identifies designs that are protected by IP, uh, you know, it, it, it might put people on notice that someone's claiming rights in that design. But uh, if the design is available uh, easily easily available on the internet, there might not be much control that the design owner can exercise over it. That's true. Okay. Have you seen that? Um, the law recognizes 3D printing as a separate uh, manufacturing method versus, let's say, traditional lathe work or Mm sintering or those kinds of things? Well, not really. The intellectual property principles apply to parts that are 3D printed just like they apply to parts that are made by any type of manufacturing process. But the difference with 3D printing is that because of the democratization of manufacturing, uh, the, and because of the fact that the technology can apply to virtually any kind of technology. Uh, you have just orders of magnitude greater of uh, IP issues that can arise. Uh, you know, it's, it's not just, as if, for example, when music became available on the Internet and it could be widely shared, it, there started to be copyright problems with protecting music. But it was only copyright. With 3D printing, you have the potential to create intellectual property problems with not just music, but with all types of products, and not just with copyrights, but but with all types of intellectual property. Yeah, so what's your firm seeing right here and now? What kind of uh, legal issues are coming up right now? Well, the issues that are coming up most often right now are uh, basically two different kinds of things. One is... uh, uh, protecting ideas, there's a lot of great new ideas in this space, uh, not only in the area of um, uh, making 3D printers uh, and the processes that are involved there, but also in use of the 3D printers. So, you know, there's a lot of great new ideas in, in 3D printing machines themselves and also in products that are made with 3D printers. And um, so, so one of the major areas that we're seeing right now is protection of those ideas with intellectual property rights the second is doing deals and there's a lot of uh, uh there are companies that have um, that they're developing ideas they're developing business models they're developing intellectual property and they are um wanting to make it get it out there in some way and so in many cases they're doing deals they are uh putting together license agreements that they can license their technology uh maybe they're making the um Maybe they're making designs available on the Internet, so they need uh, agreements in place that can can uh, bind the people who download those um, those designs. So those are the two main areas that we're seeing right now. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, do you see that certain companies um, that make 3D printers own most of the IP surrounding them and they're now licensing to... You know, hobbyist companies or other companies or is it still there's so much um, landscape to be had that many different companies are holding different patents for different types of 3D printing or is it, is it consolidating or is it still pretty widespread right now? Uh, it, the, the industry is very widespread and uh, every company that's in the industry uh, has some type of intellectual property rights and they, um, and, and that usually means patents, utility patents. It could mean design patents too. It could mean software copyrights, and it could mean trade secrets for their their secret sauce, how they how they do things, uh, and, and and what they keep internal. Mm. Um, but uh, and 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 they have to have that IP because um, uh, one, you know, it, it it gives them a competitive edge. They uh, can use that to keep competitors out of their space who are doing exactly the same thing as covered by their IP. So investors insist on it. Investors insist that you have intellectual property rights. Um, but you, you know, you ask whether it's being licensed. There has been some cross licensing in the industry that resulted from some litigation years ago. Uh, but generally I think there's not a lot of licensing. There could be more. You know, HP just came out with, um, a new system and um, uh, they probably won't be licensing the technology there, but, uh, but there's some similar technology called high speed centering that um, where the company is making the, uh, the, um, or I should say the owner is making that IP available for licensing. But another thing that's happened is that, um, you know, this technology is really about 30 or more years old. And uh, so, you know, when the when the when the technology and the industry first started, there were patents that were obtained, and a lot of those patents have expired now because you know, patents only last for twenty years from the filing date. And so, um, within the last say um, several several years, i say from around two thousand, I think it's two thousand four to through two thousand eighteen, there are about 3 D printing related patents that are expiring, and when that happens that means that startups or, or existing companies can, can start using the technology of those expired patents without worrying about infringing anyone else's rights. And that actually has caused an explosion of companies in the material extrusion space, uh, temp- a certain temperature printer called a material extrusion machine. And they, uh, there are now hundreds of small startup companies that have entered that space because some of the key patents in that area – started expiring several years ago is that the hobbyist type machines is a maker bot and those those types of machines yeah that's right a maker bot is a material extrusion machine and sometimes it's called fdm fused deposition modeling um uh and those types of machines are consumer grade machines but there is also an industrial side to that same technology and so um the early patents in that space have expired. So it's, it's, it's freed up that technology, the old, the, the technology of these part patents, it's freed up that technology to be used not only by startups, but by uh, industrial players in the material extrusion space. The same thing has happened with another type of 3d printing called bat photopolymerization. Same type has happened with another type called powder bed fusion. And so those expiring patents are enabling, um, developments of, that couldn't happen otherwise because the patents were standing in the way. Hmm. So, you know, you're. it sounds like you're an insider on a lot of different uh, 3D printing technologies. What, it, you know, the, the public may not be aware of them, but what kinds of exciting things are you seeing happening in the 3D printing world? What kind of uh, objects are being made? Well, in terms of, you know, in terms of machines, what, what we're starting to see that I think is exciting is uh, the combination of technologies and pushing the envelope beyond those technologies. There, there are seven basic technologies in three D printing, and most of the companies that uh, that make the make a machine that uses one of those technologies. That's that's what they focus on. They, in other words, they just make that type of machine, like those material extrusion machines we were talking about before, where they might make just that photopolymerization polymerization machines, and And until recently, no one was really combining any of those technologies. And so one exciting thing that's happening is that we're starting to see some of those technologies being combined. For example, the, you know, the Packard machine that's being sold, just being sold this year, called Multi-Jet Fusion, combines uh, three or four different types of uh, 3D printing technology and and adds adds some new twists to it as well. And... um, Another exciting thing is combining 3D printing mach- uh, uh, machine technology with traditional manufacturing technology in the same machine. So, for example, you might have uh, a part of the Fusion 3D printing functionality in a machine that also has uh, a CNC mill, where uh, that has uh, um, finishing uh, um, machinery inside the machine that can finish the part after it's been 3D printed and milled. And so that, that's that's what's that's some of the exciting things that are happening in the in the in the machine space. Oh, in addition to that, there are a couple of uh, uh, companies out there that are working on machines that are making parts that are instantaneously whole, and that's really quite an advance because 3D printing up until now has been mostly um, layered manufacturing. Every part was built layer upon layer upon layer. And, um, but there's a company called Carbon, just used to be called Carbon 3D, that um, has a machine that they say is making parts that are instantaneously whole. They're pulled out of a photopolymer hole, not in layers. And then right. it's on, is, on, a, mm. on a TED Talk. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And that one, you know, when that one was first announced, I thought it was just a variation on bad photopolymerization and that it was basically just a, a, an improvement on that type of layered manufacturing. But um, I saw a presentation earlier this year that uh, pretty much convinced me that the parts that they're pulling out of the bat of photopolymer are not layered. They are whole, instantaneously whole as they pull out of the bat. And Disney Research is doing something similar. They have a patent application for something they call a 3D copier, which again is a vat photopolymerization machine that um, they say is essentially printing a part inside a vat of photopolymer instantaneously, with no layers. So, so basically, what these these two processes are that I just that I was just describing is they're they're very similar to injection molding without any mold. Hmm. Yeah. When I saw the TED talk, it they they pulled um, like a dodecahedron or some kind of geometric shape out of a vat mm-hmm. of polymers. So it was like the terminator, the liquid metal yes. terminator that formed. <laughs> <It's> exactly <coughs> right. It's, it, it kind of reminds you of that. Yeah, so because those kind of parts are not layered, they want to have more strength uh, the, or they have finer dimensions or what's the, the benefit yeah, according body? to carbon, they do have more strength and they can have uh, great flexibility and uh, you know, it, it, if you don't have layer, it, it, the weakness in 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 layered layered manufacturing is the uh, the z axis uh, because the layers can um, can come apart, they can unlaminate, um, and so if you don't have layers, then you've eliminated that problem. Hmm. Okay. Um, what would you say is reality right now? versus fantasy, and then the same a year from now, the same five years from now? Well, the reality right now is that you have machines that make parts. They don't really make finished products for the most part. Uh, so, you know, if you have a, a, mach- a machine or a product that's made up of hundreds of parts, well, you know, the, the machines right now are ma- mostly making parts. They're not making the whole finished product. Uh, in time, I think they will make the entire finished product. Uh, so, if you have a machine that is combining uh, some um, different materials, mm-hmm. and it and it also has some electronic components, uh, right now, the, the, the machines can't 3D print that entire product, but eventually, I think they will be able to, and, and there's a company called Voxel8 that that's their goal. They, they 3D printed a, a drawing that flew out of the printer, but what they what they did with the motor is they, they placed the motor into it when it was, when they got to that point in the, in the building process. Hmm. But their goal eventually is to 3d print the whole thing. Right. It makes sense. You, you know, I've seen, well, again, this is the fantasy side of it, but I remember Star Trek, the next generation, they had a fabricator. So they, you know, Captain Picard would ask for Earl Grey tea, hot, and it would make the cup and the tea and all that stuff. I mean, that seems like the ultimate possibility, but how many years away do you think a 3D printer is from being able to make, uh, again, an entire machine, you know, with different materials, different parts, all in one? I think they can probably make some real great tea in a cup now, but um, <laughs> you know, that's not much of a challenge. But in terms of being able to make, you know, an entire an entire product as opposed to the parts of a product. I think, within 10 years' time. But, but, but I think an important thing to realize is that that product isn't going to look like it looks like today. And, um, and you know, an example I give is, is you know, a lot of people talk about the smartphone. And, you know, a guy I know in this industry says, well, we'll never be able to print a smartphone in our homes because we'd have to be able to print glass and metal and maybe 30 or 40 different types of materials that are in there. And I said, but that's not what it'll be like at all. Um, if if and when, and I believe it'll be when, we can 3D print a smartphone in our home, it won't look anything like the one that we have right now. It won't feel anything like the one that we have now. It won't be made of 30 or 40 different materials, and it and, and probably won't have any glass. It, instead, it'll be made up of two or three materials, and, um, and 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 the design will be fundamentally different from what we're used to. And and so, when, when, and so so the products that we, we 3D print, if we, if, when we 3D print entire products, which won't be that far away, will yeah. be fundamentally different from the products that we know today. Have you seen a glimpse of that? Like, what, what would things look like, you know, a smartphone? I mean, it, <clears throat> I mean, it has to be well, functional, but would, would it just be like, hand-shaped? Or I mean, what would it look like? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know what the smartphone is going to look like, but uh, I have some examples in my book um, of, of uh, designs that are, um, you know, first of all, the designs I think will become much more organic. They'll look much more like mother nature designed them rather than the humans designed them. They, uh, there's a great example in the book of a, a bridge strut that looks like it was grown rather than built, but it was made with carbon fusion. And uh, it has a very organic shape. It's been topologically optimized, so there's only material where it's needed and not where it's not needed. Uh, there's a, an example I use in some of my presentations of a, a second skin running shoe. That it, It's a shoe. Uh, it fits your, your foot like a glove, but it's not printed of uh, plastics or um, fabric. It's, it's printed out of something called protocells. And those cells, they inflate to provide cushioning when you're running, and they deflate when you're not running. And you store them in a vat of proto- cells overnight to kind of regenerate it. Huh. So, I mean, that's a that's a fundamental – it's still a shoe, but it's a fundamentally different shoe than we know today. Yeah, that's strange, huh. So what's going to happen to companies that sell products? Are they going to sell designs instead? or? They may. That's that's exactly right. They may. Um, uh, I know of a, an example I use all the time is of a company that um, uses turbine blades for power generation, and they need to replace these blades every few years, and that's very expensive to do. Um, but now they've been using um, 3D printing, specifically directed energy deposition, which is another one of those seven types that I mentioned earlier. They've been using that technology not to make new blades but to repair the blades that they have and so now they're not buying new blades and so you know this is great for the company that needs the blades but it's terrible for the company that makes the blades and that company makes the blades they um if enough of their customers start doing this they'll be forced to change their business model or they'll fail and um if they fail then then they fail but if they adjust their business model maybe what they do is they like you said maybe they start to sell the digital blueprint instead. And uh, so, so think about the ramifications of that. A company that's a manufacturing company that has huge overhead for manufacturing can get rid of their factories, their machines, their uh, factory workers. They can get rid of real estate. They can lower their material, co- eliminate the material costs, lower their electricity costs, and, um, and instead just become basically a digital design company. And um, what they'd essentially be doing is farming out the manufacturing, either to their customers or to independent fabricators who would make uh, make the part. And so their, their business model would fundamentally change. Hmm. Where do you think uh, that'll first happen, with industrial components or you know, what kind of companies will that happen to first? Well, I think where it might happen first is with um, – with companies that rely on the sale of parts, uh, and there's um, uh, there's a, a some I, I quote in my book. I can't remember his name offhand, but the quote is in the book. Uh, who was saying that this will um, uh, it will start certainly with the military that will uh, that will go, they'll make part uh, for an aircraft or for something anything could be anything. And that part won't be available anymore because maybe uh, the company that made it is uh, out of business or maybe it's an old an old uh, product. And so they say, well, let's use 3D printing to um, make this replacement part and uh, that, that we can't obtain in any other way. And so then they do that and they, they start to see the power of the technology and they start to think, well, well we, could. we could do this with all parts. We don't. Doesn't need to be parts that are no longer available. We can just start making all the parts that we need, and so I think the military could be a driver in there. Um, but uh, IBM did a study in 2013 that, that said that basically any company that relies on the sale of parts is at risk because um, because customers and other competitors have, or customers and competitors have a have an incentive to uh, use 3D printing to make the parts, which will uh change, possibly eliminate the um the original equipment manufacturer's market for those parts. Huh. What about the um the line between individuals making things in their home and companies making products and people going to buy them? Do you mm-hmm. think that uh I mean will there be like, you know, a chicken in every pot, uh, a three D printer in every home at some point and mm-hmm. what kinds of things will it make? And what will be the implications of that? Well, a, a, a lot of people in the industry believe that we will not have a 3D printer in every home. There are also people who said that about the 2D printer. Uh, why would we have a 2D printer in our home? Why would we all have computers in our homes? Mm. And of course, you know, now we all, we have both of those things. and And they often say, well, we won't see 3D printers in every home anytime soon. But then when you ask them what they mean by time soon, they'll always say almost exactly the same thing. Well, we're not within, say, five or ten years. But well, that means that we'll have them within about ten years. Or if everybody's wrong, maybe it's 20 years or maybe it's 30 years. But, you know, the future is really a long time. And to think that we wouldn't have in our homes machines that are capable of making the things that we need, uh, I think is kind of impractical. Um, because those the, the technology to, to do that, and the, and the machines themselves are going to become better and better, faster and faster over time. Now, you know, will, will everyone have the same machine? Can they make everything? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think if you live in an apartment, you might have a machine that just makes kitchen utensils or something like that. If you, if you, I always say that if you live in a house, the guy with the best lawnmower is going to have the best 3D printer. And so, um, I think we will have 3D printers in most homes, um, and but, but at the same time, uh, there will be a lot of other um, a lot of other uh, ways to get things as well. Uh, you know, you will be able to order them from the internet. You'll be able to have a 3D printing shop down the street that, that that 3D prints things for you. You'll be able to pick a design on the internet and then send it to the shop down the street to have it printed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the machine that you have in your home, that will that, be used for for certain things and um, not for other things. So I think there's going to be a, a very complex set of uh, things that happen uh, that, that that enable us to get parts and products in a much greater variety of ways than we're able to get them now. Yeah. I could see uh 3d, you know, 3d printing stores. You go, let's say to uh you know, a store where they have items for your house. So let's say you don't print a set of dishes, but you go to the store, like you said, send a design or choose from their designs and have it made right then and there and take it home. right, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I think we'll start to see businesses exactly like that. Yeah, I always thought they should do that with bookstores. You know, that's not 3D printing, but uh, you know, you'd have a smaller footprint. You just make the book that the person wants right there. Yeah, well, they actually it can do that. that. I saw that at the Harvard bookstore in, uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. They have a machine there that can print a book on demand. And I think the idea behind that was to uh, try to uh, uh, maintain book sales uh, so that all the book sales don't migrate to electronic books. And um, I know there's a resurgence in bookstores, so I, I, I hope something like that actually takes uh, off. And it is kind of like 3D printing. It's printing on demand. It's democratization of manufacturing. Hmm. Any, anything that's uh, coming that scares you or you think is just really kind of crazy that uh, that people don't know about? Well, you know, there's a there's a dark side to every technology. And, um, you know, I was... Um, uh, made a presentation to the city of London police back in July about 3d printing uh, the dark side of 3d printing, because uh, mm. they're interested in that. And uh, one of the people there said to me, you know, uh, criminals, they adopt new technology faster than the general public does. And uh, so, you know, there've already been reports from different places around the world of, of raids of, uh, uh, of um, a gang raiding uh, of a gang headquarters, for example, and, and finding all kinds of illegal uh, things along with 3D printers. Um, and and so, and you know, and it was big news a couple of years ago when a Texas law student 3D printed a plastic gun, uh, and everyone was uh, concerned because that, you know, a, a plastic gun would be undetectable. And um, so, you know, I think that there will definitely be criminal uses made of 3D printing, uh, but, you know, that's not really... I mean, that happens with every type of technology. Yeah. Are there any arms manufacturers that you know that their whole business is 3D printing, or has that not come to pass yet? Arms manufacturers? Yeah, are there any no, companies that... Yeah, uh, yeah. that, that, that yeah. No, I don't. Well, the same guy who 3D printed the gun, um, he started making available a... Um, uh, a different type of machine that would uh, machine the uh, lower receiver of a uh, an AR-style rifle, and um, that's not 3D printing, but that is um, you know making those machines available to the general public. It's not illegal to build fight your own firearms in the United States, so so that's not Ill- illegal in and of itself. Uh, but as for um, arms manufacturers using them, I I don't think so. I think at least not for production. They use them certainly for prototyping. Um, but, you know, if you're talking about making a lot of the same item, uh, 3D printing isn't quite at the point where, where it's the best way to do that. However, what its strength is, is customization. So I think where we'll start to see um, the use of 3D printers by arms manufacturers is in the customization of a weapon. That you can have a pistol made with the, you know, with the design that's all your, all yours. Hmm. What about in the area of uh, printing uh, things that, you know, biological items—a uh, finger, a nose, uh, an ear, a piece of skull, or even an organ? What have you seen in this arena? Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of people working on a lot of different things in, in the uh, healthcare field, and uh, you know, I think one of the one great thing is is medical models where uh, you're not actually making a, a human organ or anything like that you're actually you're making a model uh, a three d printed model of uh, a human organ a real one and and then that's used by the doctors to plan surgery and and or to train doctors in medical school uh, and I think that's a great development because you can there for example there's a doctor down in miami who uh, have a 10 year old girl with a congenital heart problem. And so he, and they took her CT scans and they 3D printed her heart. And um, you know, he was able to study that. And well, one, he was able to sit down with parents and explain to them what the situation was rather than pointing to a picture in a book. Yeah. And so he was actually able to point to the, the, a, a 3D printed model of their, their daughter's actual heart. Hmm. And then he studied that for, for a while. He said he'd carry around in his gym bag. He just looked at it every now and then, and um, and over a period of time, you know, ten days or so, he uh, he he came up with a way to do the surgery, and it was successful. And uh, you know, those models are being used in medical schools to train uh, surgeons, so they're you know you, you got to practice on something, right? And uh, uh, but also, um, there's there's much more. You know, that 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 those things are great developments, and they're very practical, but. There are a fair number of researchers out there who are trying to 3D print human organs, and um, there's a company called Cellprogen that announced just very recently that they have 3D printed an actual functioning miniaturized human heart. And just last week, they announced that they 3D printed a human pancreas. So, um, what's the company called again? Cellprogen. Oh, self-progen. C e l p r o g e n, and um, you know those aren't ready to be implanted into any in human beings yet. But um, there, there were you know I read predictions just as recently as last year saying it would be twenty to thirty years before we had had 3D printed or bio-printed organs, and there we have them. already now. It's going to take some development before they can be. Implanted in a human, but I don't think it's twenty or thirty years away. Wow. Do so you think that's uh, yeah, less than twenty or thirty years that you're gonna, you know, let's say you need a liver transplant, they'll be able to image your liver and create a new one, and grow a new yes. one. In? I do, but I I think it's actually going to be better than that. I think that by the time that the technology is capable of 3D print the, or bio printing or bioprinting an exact reproduction of your liver or your heart, we'll be able to, to make something better. We'll be able to combine biological printing with mechanical printing, for example, and we'll be able to 3D print you or bioprint you a, a heart that is is better than your heart. It will be partly mechanical and partly biological because our, I mean, our hearts really aren't designed for the way that we live and for as long as we live. And so, um, uh, you know, maybe it's not right to be trying to improve on mother nature, but I think it's going to happen. Wow. Amazing. Okay. Um, so what do you think in general is going to happen with intellectual property? Um, you know, when all this gets going in full swing in the next 10, 20 years, what's going to happen? intellectual property be dead? I mean, you know, what about patents and things like that? What's uh, Well, you know, I, I pioneered this concept of 3D printing away from control, which means the ability to make something without anyone knowing about it and without anyone being able to control it. And the democratization of manufacturing makes that possible. So as we make more and more things away from control, uh, then there will be an increased amount of infringement. But because it's away from control, you won't be able to identify that infringement if you can't identify it it's impractical or it's impossible to enforce the IP rights and at that point the IP rights essentially become irrelevant they still exist for anything that's made in in traditional market made and sold in traditional markets but if it's made away from control then the IP is essentially uh, irrelevant or or impotent and um, uh, but but at the same time I, I think that there will be um, there will be an increased amount of um, IP infringement litigation because there will be um, uh, a lot of that still will be detectable. It will be within control, uh, but I also think that we may see a narrowing of intellectual property protections over the years because um, we are. I think we are moving right well, now. I think we're in an unprecedented period of anti IP sentiment. And, um, it's not just outliers. It's even within the IP industry itself. There's, uh, because of changes in the law, patents are being invalidated right and left, or they're not issuing in the first place. Um, wow. and, 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 if you go to industry events in 3d printing, at least, um, there's really kind of a distaste, uh, at least among startu- some startups, there's a distaste for intellectual property and, um, I think when you combine those two things, what we may see in the long run is Congress actually narrowing the intellectual property laws, and not Congress and the courts narrowing the intellectual property laws and not ex, not expanding them. So we, we can have a combination of IP laws that are harder to enforce and at the same time a narrowing of the scope of protection so that IP becomes less and less important over time. Wow. Hopefully oh, that won't dampen uh, enthusiasm and um, and capitalism to make more things and more diverse things. And you can't dampen capitalism. capitalism. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> That's hopefully <laughs> true. So. All right. Well, uh, anything else we should bring up that I forgot to ask you, or? No, I think you covered it really well. I, uh, I think we've touched on a, a a lot of the major themes in this area and. Uh, um, and I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to talk about it today. Yeah. And for, for people listening, um, I have two sets of listeners. One is, uh, you know, the future tech podcast. Um, another just, you know, let's say I work with uh, many attorneys to do marketing for them and some are IP attorneys, some otherwise. What, um, kinds of clients are you looking for? What kinds of, uh, issues would people have where they should, you know, contact your firm for help or perhaps, um, other you know, there attorneys that want to uh, find out more about what you do and perhaps get into the field or work with you? you know, we. Um, you know, my firm's a big intellectual property law firm. We are one of the largest in the world. We work with um, some of the biggest companies in the world, and you know, we will continue to work with uh, those types of clients. But um, we're seeing more and more companies getting into this space that we're um, not in it before, and so uh, you know we have a we have a group, what we call the 3D Printing Working Group, of about 30 attorneys who you know, are providing services in this area. So I think we're uniquely situated to provide uh, advice in this area, and um, the, you know, the advice is is the gamut. It's protecting intellectual property. Uh, that you've developed, it's also um, in, in enforcing your rights if someone else is, is infringing your rights. It's also defending you if you're being accused of, of infringing somebody else's rights. And it's also doing deals, you know, licensing of technology, um, uh, corporate research, joint development, really everything under the sun that relates to intellectual property rights. All right. So what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they're interested in uh Talking to me about any of these issues. Well, you can go to our website, which is com, or they can send me an email at com. And, um, you yeah, know, I recommend anybody who's interested in these topics, I recommend my book, 3 Printing Will the World, which is available. easiest way to get it is on Amazon. Yeah, while we were talking, uh, I downloaded it, you know, purchased it off Kindle, and uh, I mm-hmm. looked at some of the pictures, so. Yeah, just for that, just for a quick look, it was really interesting to see the designs you're talking about. So that's great. Yeah, I've got a lot of great images in there, actually especially in the uh, chapters on how the technology will change the way products look and feel. Right on, okay. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. It's been really interesting and um I think this kind of stuff makes everyone feel good and positive about the future, and I think it's important to, uh, to know about it. I'm, I'm sure that's what your work does for you. Uh, this is what the feeling it gives me, too, so I appreciate you being on. And well, thank you for having me. Have a happy holiday. Okay, sir. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, you too. You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast post to review